Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good morning, church. Thank you again for joining us online today. I want to ask you a question as we get started today. How many football fans do I have out there? Anybody like football? I love football. I love to see my football team put as many points on the board as possible. I love to uh, see my team win, and not only win, but to win big. And if you're a football fan, you know exactly what I'm saying. You want to see your team out there scoring points, making progress. And if you don't like football, let me put it another way. Maybe you're a mom out there or a dad, and you know your kids are capable of making A's, and they're bringing home D's. Is that okay? No, because we don't get that I have a perfect kid bumper sticker to put on the back of our minivan, for one thing. But I'm just saying, as moms or dad, dads, we love the idea of our kids making progress. And for those of you that might be invested in the stock market, do you want a stock that's uh, making money or losing money? I think we know the answer to that. And if it's not making money, you're probably going to change course because we are all interested in making progress. Going back to my football days in high school, when I played football, I was a running back. I wanted to score every time I got the ball. And you know what? That's what God wants for his church. Matter of fact, I believe 2,000 years ago when Jesus ascended into heaven, before he left, he gave the church the ball, and his commission was to run up the score, to reach people, to make disciples. But you know what a lot of churches and church people decided? No, I think we'll just read the playbook a little while longer. No, I think we'll just gather in our huddle and never break from that huddle. Well, I believe the church has been commissioned by God to run up the score. I, be, I believe we've been equipped by God to be able to run up that score. And the truth is, we're not playing for victory because Jesus actually already won that victory on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why we're in the game in the first place. And it really is amazing that the resurrection, the uh, most amazing happening in the history of the world, it only took 2,000 years for the church to make that boring. I mean, think about it. We can go to a football game and we can cheer our guts out for our favorite team. But when we get into God's house, what do we do? We give God just a little golf clap. This is why I don't mind at all when I see during our praise and worship time people out there raising their hands, praising God, singing to God with all of their heart. I believe that actually gets God excited. So Jesus gave the church the ball. But he didn't just give the church the ball. He gave the ball to each of us. He gave the ball to you. He gave the ball to me. So the question today is not, did Jesus give us the ball? The question is, what are you going to do about it? Amen? That's the question. Because I believe the church, we as believers, are actually uh, empowered by God to run up the score. Uh, he gave us and equipped us to be able to run up the score. We're called to live in victory. We're going to continue our sermon series called Letters to the Churches today. Um, we're looking at the uh, letters that were sent to the seven churches recorded in the book of Revelation. And we're going to be looking at the church of Philadelphia today. But before I get into that letter, I want to begin by looking at a map that we looked at, I think, uh, the second week of this sermon series, that has all seven of these uh, cities on it.
And as you can see, Philadelphia was located about 20 mile, 28 miles southeast of the city of Sardis, or the church of Sardis. And I want to take a look at this whole uh, mail route that um, this first century post, postman would have taken to deliver all these letters to these seven churches. If you remember, these letters were given to John when John, uh, Jesus dictated these letters to John on the island of Patmos. So they would have been sent by ship over to Ephesus. They would have gone uh, clockwise on up to Smyrna, uh, then to Pergamos, then over to Thyatira, then to Sardis, and then 28 miles southeast to Philadelphia. And notice we're only uh, one church away from wrapping up our sermon series. We'll wrap that up next week. But we're looking at the uh, city of Philadelphia, which is uh, originally in Turkey. And uh, we're not talking about the Philadelphia, Philadelphia that we know of in the United States. Not that city. We're talking about this city today. And whenever you hear the name Philadelphia, we think of the city of brotherly love, right? And that's accurate because this city of Philadelphia was actually founded by two brothers that really did actually care for each other, and it got the nickname the city of brotherly love. Anyway, I want to start out reading Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And we're going to see, it's kind of, I'll explain it more later. It's kind of crazy, but Jesus is going to give us three different tattoos. I'll explain this in a minute, but let me start reading at chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true. Think about this. When Jesus says he's holy and true, he's declaring himself and his deity. It's like the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, where it says they couldn't stop singing, they couldn't stop praising. Around the clock in heaven, they're going to be praising God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, that's me. I'm the holy one. Then He goes on and He says, who holds the key of David. Let me unpack what this means. This key symbolizes authority, Jesus' authority. He's the one that's called the son of David from the Old Testament. He's also the one that was predicted to come and rule over the whole human race. He's also the one who the Bible calls the son of man. It also calls him the son of David, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So he's got all of these different titles. And whatever leadership there is on this earth, whether it's political or spiritual, Jesus is above them all. It doesn't matter who's president, really. It doesn't matter who is king, because Jesus is, was, and always will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it says here that he is the one who has the keys of David. If you know anything about King David, he was a great and mighty king. And when we hear the name of David mentioned in the Bible, we usually think of kingship. We usually think of his kingdom. We usually think of uh, his dominion and his lordship. Well, Jesus wasn't just the greatest person who ever lived because he was in a category all by himself. Because he was the only one that ever came to this earth without sin. It also says that he is true. Jesus never lies. Never, ever lies. Everything that Jesus says is true. Everything that's in God's Word is true. And why am I pressing down on this point? It's because I really do want you to get a bigger picture of Jesus today. Because if you have a small picture of Jesus, then your problems are going to get bigger. But if you have a bigger picture of Jesus, then your problems are going to get smaller. And it's all because all of a sudden you're recognizing Jesus for who He is. You're seeing His Lordship. You're seeing His rule and dominion. You're seeing the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, that should give us some hope right there. That should give us some peace right there. 
Because it's saying nothing is too big for our God. Somebody out there needs to hear that today. You're going through some hard times, and I would tell you nothing is too big for your God. Look at verse 7. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. That's powerful. He says, I know your deeds. So Jesus is telling this church, I know your deeds. I mentioned it before. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But here with the church of Philadelphia, it's a good thing. He's commending this church. He's saying, hey, guys, you've done a great job. High five, uh, fist bump. He's proud of this church. And I love this. It's because it's like Jesus is saying to all those volunteers that show up early uh, before church to get things ready, stay late after church to take things down and to clean things up, those that are uh, uh, serving in the kids' ministry area, those that are laboring behind the scenes, maybe those that are more public in ministry, those who are volunteering their time during the week, those that are giving generously, those that are sharing their faith, those that are praying for their church. All of those volunteers, Jesus is saying, I see your deeds. I know your works. He's proud of this church. And if you feel like he uh, isn't appreciating you or you're not appreciated maybe by your church, unfortunately we feel that way sometimes. Jesus right here says, I appreciate you. The whole thing about Jesus, he knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He knows how you're serving. He knows how you're giving. Think about this. He pays attention to everything that's going on. It says in God's word that he knows the numbers of the hairs upon our head. That's pretty detailed. He knows every volunteer in the church. He sees your sacrifice. He sees what you're doing. And he appreciates you. And he basically is saying thank you. And I want to put our thank you on top of that. Because of, for, if it wasn't for all of our volunteers here at the church, we couldn't do church the way we're doing church. We couldn't do it without you. And how encouraging is this when Jesus says, I know your works? It might depend on where you are in your works. How many of you have ever woke up in the morning and you feel like, you know, this whole faith thing? I don't even know if it matters. Jesus would tell you right now, it does matter. And you might think, I don't even know if anybody cares. Jesus says, I do. You need to realize that he sees it all. Jesus cares for the church. He cares for the church people, the church leaders. He cares about the mission that he has set the church on. He says, I know your works. To me, it's so encouraging to know that Jesus knows and sees it all. He sees everything. Verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He says, I have opened a door for you, church, that no one can shut. We all know that sometimes we'll walk up to a door, it's closed, it's locked, and you can't get in. Other times the door is wide open and you're invited to pass on through. What Jesus is saying to this uh, church in Philadelphia, and I believe to his church today, he's opened a door that no one can shut. Church, I believe it's a door of opportunity. Amazing opportunity to do great things for God. It's actually the door between the natural world and the kingdom of God. You know, I actually try to picture it as a church door where people are coming in, they're experiencing Jesus on a real level, they're getting excited about Jesus, they're meeting Him and receiving salvation and eternal life. And through those same doors, people are being sent out by God to share their faith, to make disciples, and to show the world who Jesus is. If there's ever been a time when this world needs to know who Jesus is, it's today. There are a lot of churches, though, I believe Jesus has shut their door. 
because of sin in the church, because of false teaching, and maybe because of some of these things we've discussed as we've gone along in our series uh, concerning these uh, several churches that we're talking about. They aren't growing. They weren't growing. They aren't growing. They aren't reaching people. So what happens? Jesus shuts the door. Victory Church, I don't want Jesus to ever shut our door. Amen? But there are other doors that it just seems like Jesus comes up and He kicks that door right off the hinges. He busts it wide open. You've got people coming in to the kingdom of God, getting excited about Jesus because that door is wide open. I want our church to be like that. And just to keep a visual image going, I would appreciate it every time you walk through a doorway. You would pray for your church that we would continue to fulfill God's mission because it's so important. Jesus tells this church in Philadelphia, I've opened a door for you, a door that no one, no one is going to be able to shut. I believe he's basically saying, hey, look, church, I'm the offensive line, I'm the quarterback, and I've handed you the ball. I've even knocked the defense totally out of the way. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the ball that Jesus has given you? Jesus has opened the way for us. But guess what? That door can be wide open, but you and I still have to move of faith, make the move of faith to walk through or run through that door. Look at verse 8, the second part of verse 8. He says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So he's commending them again. You know, everything when it comes down to it should be governed by the Scripture, should be led by the Scripture. Look what he says in verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I want to stop there because this is actually the third time that Jesus has spoken that in all generations there are going to be people who think they're part of the kingdom of God, but they're not. There are going to be people who have not trusted Christ for their salvation. Jesus says it three times in just Revelations chapter 2 and 3, but let me go on in verse 9. He says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you, since you have kept my command to endure patiently or to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is, coming to, that is going to come upon the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Church, that's good news. If we stay faithful to Jesus, he says he's going to spare us from some tribulation. That's great news. Jesus says in verse 11, I am coming soon. I like that. I also believe that. He says, hold on to what you have, your faith, your salvation, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Think about that. We're going to be a permanent fixture in the temple of God. And I said I'd talk about tattoos. Here's the first tattoo. Jesus says, I will write on them the name of my God. And then he gives us a second tattoo. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. That's the third tattoo. Verse 13, whoever has ears, let him hear, or let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think there are five open doors of opportunity that he's placed before us. The first door, if you're taking notes, is you and I have an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We have an opportunity to be a part of something so much bigger than we are. You realize that anytime you and I go out and share the gospel, you realize anytime we go out and share our faith, even invite someone to church, we're participating in something that's a whole lot bigger than we are. It's salvation. 
And salvation is a whole lot bigger than any of us because it's partnering with a God who says salvation begins with me. So anytime we do any of these things I'm talking about, we're becoming part of something that's a whole lot bigger than us, bigger than we are. I've said this before, found people find people. Found people go out and find people. If you were once lost spiritually, but now you've been found by Christ, you've been found. That's not the end of the story. When we've been found, we are commissioned to go out and find other people for the glory of God. But look at God's agenda. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John, they're talking about John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Good news. Man, even to hear that word, those two words, is good news. We live in a day and age where we need a whole lot of good news, and I can tell you, it doesn't matter what news channel you watch. Uh, CNN, Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, whatever it is, watch them for about two minutes, you're going to be totally depressed. I believe we need to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. There's hope in this world, and it only comes from one place, from one man, from one Savior, and His name is Jesus. We get enough hell in this world each and every day that we live. We should be able to come to church and get some hope. Amen? So Jesus declared the good news. But what's that good news? Number one, that we can be forgiven of our sins. Number two, that we can be made right with God. That we can enjoy an abundant life here on this earth and we can enjoy an eternal life with God someday after this life. That's good news. But look what the Bible says in verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said, when the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus has brought God's salvation to us. All we have to do is repent and believe. And when Jesus was calling his original disciples, look what it says in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Look at this. Jesus declares his agenda right from the start. Verse 17, he says, come follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you stay in the huddle. Did he say that? No, he didn't say that. Come follow me and I'll make you more judgmental than ever. He didn't say that. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Some translation says he will send you out to fish for people. A natural byproduct of being a follower of Christ is that you'll become, you'll become concerned for the same people that Jesus came to this earth to die for. If we follow him, he says, I'll make you fishers of men. Followers go out and fish for people. And if you have no concern over lost people, I would just say you're probably not serving and following Jesus like you should. Look what he says their response was in verse 18. At once. I love that. They didn't even think about it. They dropped their nets. At once they left their nets and followed him. You know, we have a big vision here at Victory Church. I've got a big vision. My wife's got a big vision. Many of you out there have a big vision for Victory Church, that we're going to pack this place. I believe we were well on our way before the pandemic hit. Uh, I believe that one day we'll have two packed out services because I'm praying that there's going to be a big revival come upon this land. Well, you might hear me say that. And you might say, well, that's a little bit too big of a vision for me. Well, maybe let me put it this way. If your bank account is growing and growing and growing and you keep making more and more money, do you want to cap it off? Do you want to shut it off? Probably not. And at the end of the day, think about this. Who has a real problem with a large amount of people coming in, finding Jesus, glorifying God? Who has a problem with that, God or Satan? I know we know the answer to that. 
But the thing is, Jesus did not call the church to shrink back. Jesus never called the church to grow smaller. He called the church to get up and get going and reach the world for His glory. Amen? That's our calling. That's a big calling. He actually said this in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. He told him, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations. That's pretty awesome. Beginning at Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem because that was home base. Start at home. He says, you are witnesses of these things. I read where the word witness in the Greek is the same word for martyr. That means that sharing our faith always isn't an easy thing to do. Sharing Christ with others isn't always the easiest thing to do. And I believe there are some of you out there, you've got some friends, you've got some family that have never heard the gospel because you've never shared it. I just challenge you, love them enough to let them know where they could spend eternity or where they might spend eternity. If your neighbor's house was on fire, I pray that you wouldn't just say, well, I'll be praying for you. No, I hope you'd run out of your house and run down to their house to try to rescue them. Because when it comes down to it, people, we've got family, we've got friends, we've got neighbors, their house is on fire, and they need us. They need the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The second door of opportunity, if you're taking notes, is to be excellent. To be excellent. You might be wondering why I've got this mixer up here today. This is my mother-in-law's mixer. It's a Cadillac of mix, uh, mixers. It's a KitchenAid mixer. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's a pretty uh, famous brand of mix, uh, mixer. But my mother-in-law makes some pretty amazing stuff with this mixer. I mean, she'll mix up some amazing cookies. Uh, she'll mix up and make amazing cakes and cupcakes, and the icing is out of this world. But this mixer, no matter how good of a mixer it is, top-of-the-line mixer, Cadillac of mixer, mixers, no matter if it has the exact ingredients in it, it's never going to mean a thing and it's never going to do a thing unless it gets plugged in. Amen? This is the secret. It has to be plugged in. Otherwise, it's just going to sit on the table and take up space. Some of you kind of know where I'm going with this. Everyone out there, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says God has gifted us with at least one spiritual gift. So the truth is, you've got more potential to do great things for God in you than you can even imagine. But Jesus says, to do it, you've got to plug into the body of Christ. You've got to plug into the local church. And until we get plugged in, you're never going to become what Jesus wants you to become. Until you get plugged in, you're never ever going to do what God wants you to do. There are some of you out there right now, you're thinking, there's nothing that I could ever do to be used by God. Let me just say, if you're thinking that way, you're in a perfect position to be used by God. You know, whenever you come into any of our church services, you're being served by people who have plugged into the body of Christ. From the people you meet in our parking lot, from the people that shuttle you back and forth, from our door greeters, the people that help sign you in, to our ushers, our child care workers, to our musicians, our sound men, they're all people that have gotten plugged in. Some people say, well, I don't have time. That's an excuse. Because isn't it funny how we find time to do everything that we think is important, everything that we think is valuable? Jesus Christ paid too high of a price for us to just sit back and take up space and not get in the game. Amen? The third door of opportunity is to become stronger. I like to work out, you can tell by my physique, right, how I'm built. I'm just kidding. 
But the truth is, years ago here at the church, we did do the Insanity Workout Program over at our Life Center, three days a week, I think it was. It has a fitting name because that workout was totally insane. And if you're ever going to do the Insanity Workout, you need to work out with other people because they can spur you on, they can cheer you on, they can keep you going through because you want to give up and quit. Oh, I thought about going down, my, uh, base, down in my basement and throw the DVD in our uh, DVD player and do it myself, but you know what I'd end up doing? Cheating. But when you get together with a group of people, you can't cheat. I found that out the hard way. There were some moves that the guy on the video was doing, and I wasn't doing them right. Didn't think anybody was paying attention. They were. They all let me know, especially my wife, Dwayne, a wrong move, uh, wrong exercise. I guess I wasn't paying attention. But I realized that with the group, you can't cheat anymore because you've got people there that are going to hold you accountable, just like in church. The idea that you and I can make it alone in our walk with God, that's completely wrong. It won't happen. I want you and I to get stronger in our walk with God. But to do that, we need to get more involved in the church, the body of Christ. We need to get more involved with each other. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. In other words, the writer is saying, hey, let's get serious about our walk with God. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He said spur. You know, there are times when we need somebody to come alongside us and, and say some hard things to us. Things that we, we need to hear, maybe we don't want to hear, but we need to hear. Look at verse 25. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we all need encouragement. I don't care who you are, we all need encouragement. And I think the first step people make when they walk away from God is they actually walk away from the people of God. You show me somebody that's walked away from God and walked away from the people of God, I'll, tell you, I'll show you somebody that's getting ready to make some major wrong decisions in their life. And for some of us, many of us, we can relate to that because that's been our story. But at the end of the day, you and I as followers of Christ are called to encourage one another. We're called to lift one another up. There have been times since Cheryl and I have been in ministry for these 22, 23 years that we've had some really down times. We've had some struggles. We've had some hard times. We've had some times when we were hurting, uh, some times when we were lonely. And there have been many of you that stepped up and got us through those tough times. You were there for us. You were there to pray for us. You were there to hold us up, to lift us up. You were there to just give us a listening ear. What I'm trying to say is Cheryl and I can't do this alone. None of us can do this faith walk alone. We need each other and we need God. The fourth thing is to grow and take your next step. Our faith walk is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It takes time. How many of you have ever had a meal from a crock pot? Anybody know what a crock pot is? My wife does, and she cooks some amazing meals in the crock pot. She'll take a roast, put it in the crock pot in the morning. She'll put some carrots and some potatoes in it. She'll let it cook all day. And let me tell you, if you come in from outside and step into the house, it's amazing. The aroma just overwhelms you. It's unbelievable. She cooks a lot of things in the crock pot, and everything comes out amazing. Then on the other hand, you've got what we call the microwave. Amen? Microwaves are okay for heating up certain things, reheating certain things, or microwave meals, or hot pockets, something like that. But there's no way in the world that a microwave meal is anywhere close to the food that's uh, coming from a crock pot. No way. Crock pot cooks food over time. 
it brings out the flavor in the food. And it happens over time. What I'm saying is spiritual growth doesn't take place in a microwave. It doesn't take place in a microwave setting. If you plant a new tree, it's going to take some time for those roots to go down deep and take a hold. And spiritual growth takes time. God wants to develop and grow us and mature us for sure. If we'll just stay with Him, stick with Him, commit to Him, let Him shape you and mold you. And you won't believe what God can do with your life if you'll just give Him the chance. I want us all to grow closer to each other. I want us to grow closer to God. And I want us to take our next step with God. And if you're here today or out there today and you don't know what your next step is, I encourage you to pray this prayer that's found in Psalms 139, verse 23. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Just get honest with God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I guarantee you, you pray this prayer or this uh, prayer every day. I promise you, God will show you what your next step needs to be. And the amazing thing about our God is you can have as much of God as you want in your life. He wants you to have all of Him. Do you want all of Him in your life? The last point that I want to talk about today is expect to receive blessings. When you serve Him, expect to receive God's blessing. God wants to bless His children, just like you and I want to bless our children. I'm that dad when Austin, my son, was little. We'd go to the store, and he would always find something that he wanted. And a lot of times he would say, Dad, can I have that? And I would say, no, you can't have that. Then he would look at me with those big blue eyes and say, please, Daddy, can I have that? And my heart would melt, and I'd say, well, go ahead, get four or five of them. That's all right. One time we were somewhere, and I noticed on the counter as we were checking out, there was this can or this jar that had this picture of a little boy on it that had been really sick. And they were trying to make, raise donations to cover his medical expenses. And earlier I had given Austin some money to buy whatever he wanted for himself. And I watched him. He reached into his pocket and he took about half of that money out and he put it in that little jar. That touched my heart. I thought, wow, Austin, that's really great. That's, that's generous. And then I could still see the, see the wheels turning in his mind. And he reaches in and gets the next handful of money, takes the rest of the money that he has and puts it in the jar. I thought, wow. But I also told Austin, Austin, that's great. But now you don't have any money to buy things for yourself. Austin looked at me without missing a beat. and He said, that's all right, Daddy, because you've always got more. And I thought about that. How incredible would it be if we had that kind of faith? If we understood that our source of everything that we have isn't ourselves, isn't money, it's God. And when we give, we don't have to worry because God always has more. You know, all these doors of opportunity that we've been talking about, if we'll just follow through, if we'll obey God, we'll follow Him and do these things, He's going to grow and mature us as believers. Jesus has handed us the ball, and He has said, now what are you going to do with it? That's the big question that I want to ask you today. He's given us the spiritual ball. He's equipped us with the power and the gifts to do whatever He's called us to do. But what are we going to do with His calling? You know, I'm holding this football today because 22, almost 23 years ago, God handed my wife and I the ball of ministry. 
called us into ministry. We had no idea that he was going to be calling us into ministry. He handed us the ball and he basically said, what are you going to do with it? He had a work for us to do for him. He had an amazing work to do that we had no idea. And it was at a time when we only had about 15 people here at the church and half of them were my family. There was a huge debt on this building from a previous remodel project. But God took and passed me the ball and we took because we ministered together. We took that ball and we ran with it. You know, I think about things someday. I'm 62 years old. Time has flown. God called me into the ministry when I was 40. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be in ministry. I hope for several more years. We want to be here as long as God wants us here. But there's going to come a day. There will come a time when we're going to pass the ball over to you, over to this church. And I've got one challenge for you. Don't drop the ball. I've got one challenge and hope that uh, you'll run up the score even greater than ever before. He's called us to take it down the field. As far as we can go in 10 to 15 years down the road, we're going to pass it on to the next generation. And I believe God wants us to help set them up for success, that they might reach thousands of people. God has a plan. God's plan is always perfect. I'm weak within myself. You're weak within yourself. We can't do it alone. I need you. You need me. And we need God together. Could you bow your hearts in prayer with me today? Father God, help us to keep our faith. Help us to keep our focus where it needs to be. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today and that our hearts would be listening. Become more real to us, Lord God, than you've ever been before. Help us to see the opportunities that you have set before us. You've given us an open door of opportunity. Maybe it's to invite someone to church. Maybe it's to totally sell out to you, totally and completely. But Father God, I know you want our hearts. You want our hearts and you want a full-out commitment. Lord, I pray that hearts would be committing to you today like never before. Help us to get on fire for you and help us to pick that spiritual ball up and run for you for your glory. Help us to run up the score for you. Help us to reach people with the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would all get on fire for you. And I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives today and forever. I give you praise, I give you glory, and I give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.